This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast, the very best bits of today's show. It is a Tuesday morning, the 13th of February, and here's what we've got for you today. Live from our special venue today, the Mercedes-Benz Brand Center down at Dubai Design District. Do pop down and check it out. They are very keen for you to come and enjoy the food and beverage and the artwork. Right then, back to business. What have we got for you today? World Government Summit continues. We're going to hear from some of the leading lights. You've got the head of the World Bank. You've got the head of NVIDIA and many, many more besides. As for our interviews today, well, we spoke to Thomas Schultz, who is the boss down here, to give him his full title. He's the head of Mercedes-Benz Passenger Cars in Dubai for Gargash Enterprises. Why have they built this place and why is only a third of it given over to a car showroom, two-thirds to what looks more like an art gallery? Elsewhere, earnings season, and Brandy's been speaking to not one, but two energy sector finance chiefs, Peter Van Driel of Adnot Gas and Yusuf Salem of Adnot Drilling. All that to come. First up, though, the World Government Summit. Serena, let's look at the World Government Summit. Many speakers down there yesterday. Of course, we at the Business Breakfast tend to look at some of the corporate speakers as well and the economists. But you've been listening to the head of the World Health Organization. Yeah, Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus. He spoke at the summit in Dubai, mentioned the success of COP28, uh, thanked the UAE for being a pathfinder, he called them, in holding the first COP to include a day dedicated to health. But he also thanked the Emirates for their support the WHO Global Logistics Hub, which is actually located in Dubai. Uh, It's become an essential part of the WHO's operational response to health emergencies around the world. Last year, the hub distributed medical supplies for 50 million people in emergency situations in 81 countries in every region of the world. Since the hub opened in 2015 in Dubai, It has expanded sevenfold, from 3,000 to 20,000 square meters. Indeed, the hub is currently playing a vital role in our response to several emergencies around the world, including the ongoing crisis in Gaza. He also spoke about the need for a pandemic accord or agreement so that the world is better prepared for the next COVID-19 situation or disease X. COVID-19 was a disease X, a new pathogen causing a new disease. But there will be another disease X or a disease Y or a disease Z. And as things stand, the world remains unprepared for the next disease X and the next pandemic. So just to give a bit of background, December 2021, WHO member states met in Geneva and agreed to develop the pandemic agreement or preparedness and response on how countries can keep each other safe. So now countries have until May this year to complete that agreement and that will be reviewed for adoption at the World Health Assembly taking place in May. Serena Kelly, thank you very much indeed. Joining us live from Dubai Media City, of course, Brandy the World Government Summit continues today. Yeah, Sam Altman, uh, the FT has been reporting that he's looking to raise trillions of dollars uh, to build new chip facilities. 
including from this region. Uh, looking forward to hearing him on the stage today. We have heard the leather jacket wearing boss of NVIDIA um, talk about the need to own your own, own data and to almost own the shop when it comes to AI. It all ties in together. Everyone from the, the boss of Airbus to the boss of the WHO has been on stage. Indeed, I was down there yesterday listening to some of those A-list leaders from the worlds of politics, economics, business, and as we just heard from beyond. This is what I found out. So we're going to start bigger picture and then drill down into some of the more narrow issues. And they don't come much more big picture than the president of the World Bank, A.J. Banger. Well, I think there's, there's uh, two things that you think about. The first is all the challenges of instability across the region here, of course, with what's going on in Gaza, but also the challenges of Ukraine. And when you put those two together and the Red Sea and you add these variables into what already is turning out to be probably the lowest growth of the last 35, 40 years in the world, you put those two factors together and that's something we've got to keep a close eye on. I believe that without real economic growth, as I said a little while ago, you cannot have prosperity and you cannot have peace. Peace and prosperity come with growth, and that's really important. Now, if there's one big issue here at the World Government Summit, it's artificial intelligence. And if there's one big player powering artificial intelligence, it is Jensen Huang. He's the CEO and founder of NVIDIA. Whatever new incredible technology is being created, uh, you go back to the earliest of times, uh, it is absolutely true. We have to develop the technology safely, we have to apply the technology safely, and we have to help people use the technology safely. Whether it's um, uh, the plane that I came in, uh, cars, uh, manufacturing systems, medicine, all of these different industries are heavily regulated today. Those regulations have to be extended, augmented, to consider artificial intelligence. We got a fascinating perspective on what the UAE is doing here. Here's Khaldun Mubarak of Mubadala. Since 2020, when COVID hit the, the world, the UAE took it as a challenge. And actually, rather than go defensive, the UAE went offensive across the board in the healthcare challenge, but then in every economic challenge that, that COVID uh, put to all of us, to the whole world, supply chains, uh, technology uh, enablement, et cetera, et cetera. That three year from 2020 to 2023 and now going into 2024 was an unbelievably uh, exciting fueling period for what I feel now is the next stage, which is this next 10 year journey. And of course, there is so much more to come at the World Government Summit. Day two, Tuesday, headline speakers include Sam Altman, the founder of ChatGPT. Stay tuned to Dubai Eye for details of all of these great speakers. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Yeah, here with Thomas Schultz, who's the general manager for passenger cars at Mercedes-Benz Gargash Enterprises. Morning, Thomas. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Richard. Thank you very much. Tell me about this brand center, because you and I have been here 20 years or so, and we know the format for selling cars in Dubai. Big box, Shakeside Road, full of cars and car salespeople. And yes, you've got cars here, but two thirds of this place is like an art gallery. I bumped into your curator earlier on today. Why the need to change? 
Well, we wanted to move away from the tradi uh, traditional automotive retail concept and that's why we decided to uh, build this uh, beautiful brand center here in Dubai Design District where we have the ability to blend uh, technology, art, uh, fashion, design and culinary delights all under one roof. So we really wanted to move away from this transactional showroom concept. Is that a risk? Because the old format works. You had a 27% increase in car sales last year. Well, the old format works, um, but we are evolving uh, into a luxury brand and uh, this is what we want to give to our customers, a luxurious uh, automotive retail experience. So it's an art gallery. You've got a curator. How did you make that decision? Because that's a big investment. You've got a, you're giving a lot of space to that. It's time, effort, money. How did you make that decision? Well, this is to elevate the experience for our customers to offer something new, something that hasn't been there before and you don't find such a concept anywhere in the world. We are unique and we are the first in the world to have such a concept. Well, it certainly looks the part. I'll give you that. Absolutely no question at all. But let's talk about, we're the business breakfast. Let's talk about the numbers. Last year for Gargash Enterprise, Mercedes-Benz, 27% increase in car sales. Now, I know the economy is doing well. 27% is not too shabby. How did you do that? It was a fantastic year for us. And yes, with 27% uh, we had uh, the best growth for Mercedes-Benz, for any Mercedes-Benz market in the region, probably even uh, the best growth uh, of any market worldwide. Well, how did we do that? We grew in all segments. We have a very strong demand in Dubai. The market is strong. The economy is strong. Our product portfolio is uh, amazing. We grew, for example, with electric vehicles by 225%. So we more than tripled our sales in electric vehicles and that, of course, contributed. But then also the uh, other products that we have are equally as strong. Take, for example, our Maybach product range. Um, every, almost every fourth S-Class that we sell is an S-Maybach. Almost every third GLS SUV that we sell has a Maybach badge on it. And almost every fourth car that we sell is a high-performance AMG vehicle. So and that obviously contributes to that uh, tremendous growth that so we had last year. You're not driving volume by just churning out low-end cars, entry-level cars, are you? We are going top-end. Which is good to hear from your business uh, perspective. If we look at those electric vehicle sales, Brandy and I were chatting about those numbers before we came on air today. The figure we've been quoted for EV sales in the UAE generally is about 4% of the market from industry sources. But 11% of the cars you sold for electric vehicles, that is way ahead of the industry average. Talk to me through that. Well, I think first of all, it's, a, it's because of the amazing product portfolio that we have. We are offering cars in you know, many segments. We have electric SUVs, we have electric uh, high-end luxury sedans business or mid-size luxury sedans. So we're covering quite a lot with our product portfolio and I think that also contributes to the uh, overall 11% of our total uh, sales. If we look at the, the more affordable end of the spectrum, and that's a relative term when we're talking to Mercedes-Benz, but one of your big sellers was the, the C-Class, your relatively small or mid-size saloon car. What's driving sales at that level, two, three hundred thousand dirhams, in both ICE cars, internal combustion engine, and also electric vehicles? Well, for the C-Class, I think we have a fantastic value for money proposition. It's an amazing car at a very attractive price. You get a lot of car for your money. So uh, how much can I drive one out for today? C-Class. If I say, Thomas, okay, m my budget's limited at the moment, but I really want a Mercedes C-Class. What's the cheapest one I can drive out today? 
Well, you'll get it just below 300,000 dirhams. Just below 300,000 dirhams, right. And in terms of electric vehicles, same question. What's the minimum price I can drive one out of the showroom today? You're also talking below 300,000 dirhams, so it would be uh, somewhere around 270,000 dirhams. But looking at your notes, you say one of the challenges that you face in terms of selling more electric vehicles is not the lack of appetite for them, it's the charging infrastructure. That's the case globally, it's the case here as well. Explain that to me. Yeah, electric mobility is still somewhat in its infancy and so is also the uh, charging infrastructure. And it's not only the public charging infrastructure, it's also about getting permits for uh, home charging solutions. Our customers sometimes face difficulties to have a wall box installed to get the necessary permits. And without a wall box at home, without the ability to charge a car from your home, uh, I do understand that uh, not everybody in the end decides then to go electric so yet. So what is the, the solution to that, particularly for people who live in apartments? Well, I think the solution is in the end a political solution. Um, and the UAE have an electric vehicle policy which foresees that by 2050, 50% of the cars on the road are to be electric. So we're going along with that. Let's talk about SUVs. We still love our SUVs here in, in the UAE, and, and you guys are no different. The, the G-Wagon or G-Class is something of a UAE icon. I know it's a global car, a German car, but the UAE has embraced it. And at the back here, we're in Dubai Design District. I can see the diggers. You're building an off-road test track in the middle of Dubai Design District. I didn't see that one coming. That is right. Um, by May, we are going to open our Mercedes-Benz Off-Road Experience Center. So you're right, this is a test track, an off-road test track in the middle of a city. And this is to, again, elevate the customer experience. We are going to offer our customers, um, uh, along with their customer journey, a, uh, test a test drive on the SUV test track. So we're doing that for our customers. And uh, this is, uh, yeah, among other things, also to showcase the capability, the off-road capability of our SUVs and, of course, of the iconic G-Class. Well, I, I know how popular they are with members of ruling families here. I was down at the World Government Summit yesterday, lots of G-Wagons outside with very low single-digit number plates on them. What is it about the G-Wagon and this market? When you speak to your colleagues back in Germany and they go, why do you need so many of these very expensive but slightly boxy retro-looking cars? I think because they just look amazing uh, in Dubai. <laughs> well, it certainly works. Whatever you do, whatever you have been doing works, but you're doing things differently now as well, not resting on your laurels. 27% increase last year. You think double digits this year? 27% is a big number to hit again. Well, I'm not sure if we're going to hit 27% again, but certainly we are aiming to go double digit again. Best of luck with that, Thomas. Thanks very much indeed for joining us today. Thanks very much indeed for inviting us down here to the Mercedes-Benz Brand Center. We are down here at Dubai Design District. It is open. Even Brandy Scott approves of the coffee down here, and she is a very tough audience when it comes to coffee. Talking of which, Brandy Scott, back to you. Yeah, Brandy Scott's also potentially solved her what new car do I want issue, although I'm not sure that the one on display is actually for sale because there's a bit of a museum down here for anyone who is uh, both an auto or a modern art lover. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. All right, earnings season continues, and this morning it is the energy industry. Adnock Drilling coming up, the CFO, but first we are looking at Adnock Gas, a 12% fall in both EBITDA and full year revenues, but a bit of a pickup in Q4. To put it in context, 
Two CFOs today for the price of one. We are joined by the Adnock Gas CFO, Peter Van Drill. Peter, it's lovely to speak to you. Good morning. Good morning, Brandy. Let's start with the full year before we do look just at Q4 separately. And I, I realise that it's hard to do a full year comparison like for like because you are a new entity, so we're not comparing apples with apples there. But those full year numbers do show the impact maybe of, of weaker Asian prices. You've mentioned in the commentary a challenging first half. Talk me through what the company has, has faced this year. Yes. So in 23, I think we have managed to make sure that operational excellence was present in everything we did. The reliability of what we're doing was high, 99%. And getting more volume processed means that we increase our revenues. Pricing is less controlled. So that is more difficult. 22, you may remember, that was exceptionally high in terms of the price of oil. And in 23, we were more in the 82 levels on average for the year. And that is something, of course, that we can make use of, but do not control that. So hence, a small reduction. But as you said yourself, the uptick is coming now in this more stable environment, whereby the fourth quarter was 24% higher than the fourth quarter in 22. So as you said, you see an improved environment and especially Q on Q, the uptick in both volumes and in price is clearly present. So how do you mitigate that? As you say, you've got no control over the world's energy prices. How can you keep margins strong? How have you been making efficiencies? So the first thing is make sure that the kit runs efficient and everything goes according to what is a plan. So that means that your maintenance is executed on time and within budget. The second point is that when we buy the gas that we purchase, we buy that from our colleagues in upstream. They are the ones who produce gas. Now we have a unique system whereby we purchase under a so-called project uh, profit sharing mechanism. It means that if the prices go up, we have more profits, and we share some of these profits with upstream, i.e. the cost of the gas that we purchase goes up. But we also have downward protection. If prices come down, we pay less for the gas uh, from our colleagues in upstream, hence we enhance our margins. And that means that we are actually quite a predictable margin business. Um, We are in the sense protected from very volatile environments. We're not immune to it, but we definitely are protected from the downside and we benefit from the upside when prices go up. And you've seen that in the fourth quarter, that definitely happened compared to the fourth quarter of 22, hence the uptick of 24%. Okay, only a few minutes with you, so let's be quick. Speaking of protecting, how do you protect your business as the markets you operate in and your customers move towards net zero? So we are in the midst of an energy transition. And if we look at what we export, LNG, that is clearly seen as a transition fuel. So we actively participate on the energy transition. The other thing we do in our operations, we electrify more. It means lower emissions. And in that sense, we are on track to reduce our emissions by 25% in the year 2030. Okay, you've made investments this year for some significant capacity expansion. When are we going to start seeing those pay off? 
So actually, you see the volumes increasing as we do. The big uptick is coming at the end of this year in the third quarter, where we see another 370 million scops coming through the system. Um, it means that we have another 4% increase in volumes. That will increase in 25 when we have another project. It's called Neram, uh, whereby we provide feedstock for our colleagues in the chemicals business, Barouge. Um, so you see those steps in volume increase happening in the near term, both in 24 and in 25. Are any of the products that you sell internationally being affected by Red Sea issues? No, fortunately not. Um, we have had no operational issues and we export our LNG mainly to the east. We had a lot of new customers this year in India and in China, for example. Um, we sometimes also, when the arbitrage is open, when there's an opportunity, go to the west, to Europe, as we did to Germany. But our sales into China and India, as well as Japan, uh, have been successful and have not been hindered in operational sense by anything in the region. Uh, 30 seconds left with you. What are you forecasting, both in production and revenues for this year? So what we see is a gradual increase in our margins. We see that we have in the first quarter always a bit more maintenance. Uh, for the rest of the year, we see an uptick in the volumes with 2%. We see a pricing environment which is more stable. We expect around the $80 levels and we benefit from that, as I said, by an advantaged feedstock position. So all but all, we are planning to pay our second part of the dividend, 1.6 billion. That's the final dividend. In total, the dividend was $3.25 billion in uh, April. So that's the final one. So that means that we will grow our dividend from $3.25 billion with an additional 5% for the year 24. That is the outlook, Brandy. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. The CFO of Adnock Gas, Peter Vandriel, talking us through their full year and their Q4 earnings and some of the pricing pressures that have impacted them. Thank you for your time. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We are talking to not one but two energy-related CFOs this morning because it is earnings season. And one of the people we've got the numbers out from is Adnock Drilling, a 29% increase in net profit for 2023. Very pleased to be joined by the CFO, Yusuf Salem. Yusuf, good morning. Thanks for speaking to us. Good, good morning. Thank you, Brent, for having me. Let's start with the full year numbers, if we can. Net profit up 29%, revenue up 14%. Is that just more rigs or is it more nuanced than that? It, it's, it's more of everything, really. It's, it's more activity where we have more rigs uh, to support ad hoc going to 5 million barrels per day capacity target. It's more international operations with us launching in Jordan. Uh, it is more a value-add services we're providing on top of rigs where now we have 48 rigs, where we not only provide the rigs, but we provide additional services on top. It's more decarbonization efforts, having hybrid rigs in the country that now effectively have batteries, have grid connections. It's more re-injecting CO2 back into, into the wells to reduce the, the, the carbon footprint. So it's really been a fantastic year all around. Okay, let's have a look at the net profit number though, up by almost a third. Where are you managing to make cost savings and efficiencies amongst all of that? Yes, and even quarter on quarter, it's really up 41%. So it is really, really high, high, high growth. And partially it's continued optimization, but also partially it's the sheer scale 
we're able to, to achieve with all of these growth growth avenues. We've also just launched our billion and a half uh, investments platform with our partners, Alpha Dhabi. We're getting into the unconventional uh, piece as well. So with all the scale, we're really able to achieve a lot of economies of scale that's allowing us to achieve these record margins, reaching as high as 50% EBITDA margin. Okay, you mentioned Adnox plans there to increase their production capacity. How tied are you to Adnox growth plans for your own growth? We're an enabler of this growth, right? So today, effectively, these 142 rigs that we will reach by the end of by the end of this year, from the 129 we have now, these are the rigs and the additional services we provide are really enabling this growth. Whether in terms of the capacity, is also enabling Adnox and the UE's path to gas self-sufficiency by 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 2030. So we're at the heart of this of this growth and enablement. We've heard the um, Saudi authorities come out and say that the reason that Saudi Aramco isn't going to be expanding its uh, production capacity is because of the green transition, moving from an oil company to an energy company. How are you future-proofing yourself for that transition? Absolutely. So the UE and ADNOC are at the forefront of that that transition and of the ability to balance energy security on one hand and decarbonisation on the other hand, as we've seen with an extremely successful COP and with all the initiatives and commitments out there. And Adnoc Drilling is exactly doing this balance. So on one hand, we're providing the rigs, we're providing the services that enable this energy security for the world. And on the other hand, we're getting the CO2 coming out of these wells, re-injecting it back into the wells, bringing these hybrid rigs in to significantly reduce the decarbonization and decarbonize on the road to net zero by 2045. So we're exactly striking this balance in the line with the UEE and its leadership at Adnoc. How green, though, can a drilling company get? What's the the ultimate end goal? The ultimate end goal is the net zero net goal, which is the UE and ADNOC are absolutely committed to, and we are we are as well. Ultimately, the energy is is critical for 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 prosperity for for moving forward. The downside of it is the carbon emission. As long as we get to the right level of capture, storage, and reinjection, we are absolutely able to balance these two. Okay, well, let's have a look at your future plans. What are your plans for further fleet expansion beyond what you've added in the last 12 months? Absolutely. So we have another 20% or so growth coming in this year across all metrics in terms of adding additional rigs going to 142, in terms of adding additional value-added services we provide on these on these rigs, in terms of our financial growth across all, all metrics, deploying more from the $1.5 billion investment platform we have with our partners, uh, Alpha Dhabi and further growing the unconventional resources of the UE to contribute to the gas self-sufficiency. So we expect another great year with growth all across. Are there any diversification of oil field services for you? You mentioned that JV with uh, Alpha Dhabi. What else could you look at for tie-ups? Absolutely. And, and this JV is, is named Enersol, right? Energy Solutions. And really to reflect exactly that point that we're diversifying. It's not only about oil and gas. It's not only about, about drilling. It's really about the entire value chain of energy and energy transition and providing value add services across that full value chain from the joint venture as well as from Adnog Drilling as well. Okay. So what guidance are you issuing for the next year? So we're providing guidance on, on top line growth where we're expecting to go before, to grow another 18 to 24% uh, this year, and then trickling down, providing guidance as well on maintaining uh, kind of very high levels of, of margins we're able to, to achieve and continue to grow our bottom line as well by kind of close to 20, 20%, exceeding $1.2 billion of, of net profit. And importantly as well, we're distributing 
this year a total dividend of $717 million. We hope and as many of your listeners as possible are holders of the stock and will be getting these dividends very soon, subject to the AGM approval. And obviously, we'll continue to grow the dividends as well by at least 5% year on year. And where are you foreseeing or where could there potentially be headwinds? What are you watching out for? Uh, look, I think that the great thing about our business is the way we really work is we work with long-term contracts, 10 to 15 years, which have a contractual return linked link mechanism. The UE is obviously going ahead with very concrete and specific and dearest plans. And hence, really, the way we see it, we have a country and a, and, a, and a set of clients who are kind of going full steam ahead on both hitting their, their targets while achieving their, their net zero. We act as an enabler for that. Our contractual framework completely derists us from that. And hence, we're full guns blazing. Yusuf Salem is the CFO of Adnoc Drilling. Just one of the companies been reporting in the last 48 hours for earnings season. They came out uh, yesterday morning with a 29% increase in net profit for 2023. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.